When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He stalked her, he followed her everywhere. She was terrified of her husband at that time. Dr. Brenda Page, a brilliant academic, was brutally murdered in her flat in Aberdeen in 1978. She was a very highly regarded and distinguished scientist who had a a husband who was very volatile. In episode two, I told you what I discovered about the original police investigation. They were interested in the movements of a green mini estate car in the early hours of the morning of Brenda's murder. They believe someone drove the car to Stonehaven, a town near Aberdeen, and boarded a train to Edinburgh. The person who travelled to Edinburgh re-entered the car at Stonehaven on the way back, and I believe that car belonged to Kit Harrison. Brenda married Dr Christopher Harrison, known to her as Kit, in her hometown of Ipswich in 1972, a year before they moved to Aberdeen. She divorced him in 1977, but it seems that all had not been well since the very beginning of their marriage. She didn't realise what he was really like until they were on honeymoon, apparently. She said that she suddenly realised that she'd made a big mistake. Brenda was terrified of him. I didn't know what went on behind closed doors. Nobody does, do they? This is Murder in the Granite City, and I'm journalist Ruth Warrender. I said in previous episodes that I started investigating the murder of this brilliant scientist in 2018, trying to find out who would want to kill Brenda and if there was a motive for her murder. In this episode, I'll be focusing on Brenda's relationship with her ex-husband, Dr Christopher Harrison, the man she knew as Kit. I'd like to make it clear before we begin that you may find some of what you hear distressing. Brenda was very close to the three women you'll hear from. Her sister Rita, her school friend Diane, and her friend and work colleague Jessie. They spoke openly, and as far as I could tell, honestly, about what they'd heard from Brenda and what they'd witnessed when they'd seen her with Kit. Some of what they said was shocking. Brenda said to me, and I'll never forget these words, she said, Jess, if ever I'm found dead and it looks like suicide, don't believe it. It's a strong statement from Brenda's friend, Jessie. But why was Brenda terrified of Kit? When I visited Brenda's older sister, Rita, at her home in Ipswich, I asked her if she could remember when Brenda told her they were getting married. I don't remember the actual engagement... 
taking place, but I remember great excitement and bringing him home. And... Uh, what did everyone think about him? Well, everyone has their own opinion, don't they? But uh, I can't say that he was my cup of tea, although I wouldn't have said so to her because everyone's different, aren't they? You saw that she was happy. Yes. And she was see. going to marry this man that she loved. Yes. But you just had a... You just didn't really take to him. No, I wouldn't say that because he was charming. But he... I don't know how to describe it. You've, you felt that he was far too clever for us. And I don't know whether you've felt slightly inferior. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't her usual kind of boyfriend and he made you feel a little bit uncomfortable. In what way? In that we couldn't discuss things that he was particularly interested in and... He stayed here when they got married. He's bedded down in the room at the back with the boys. Would you say that he was quite, you know, pleasant? Well, yes, he could be extremely charming. And he was a good-looking fellow. Very tall, taller than her because she was a big girl. But, according to Brenda's friend and work colleague, Jessie, Kit was less than charming when Brenda took him home to meet her parents. She invited Kit home, so he went out and he bought a very fancy bottle of wine and went to meet her parents. I think this is actually before they married. She told me this story. And her father didn't drink wine. He, he was a kind of glass of beer man. So he politely refused Kit's wine and said, no, no, he would go for a beer. So Kit got in a right bad mood and he picked the wine up and poured it down the sink. Wow. Isn't that odd? Yeah, of course, yeah. But that maybe gives some insight into the character I saw and yeah. heard about from Brenda. Brenda wrote letters to her school friend Diane when she moved away from Ipswich. I asked Diane if she remembers Brenda writing to her about meeting Kit. So I seem to remember her writing to say that she'd met this gentleman and that he was lovely. Um, How did she describe him? She thought he was wonderful and that that was all going to be perfect. Brenda met Kit when she was studying for her PhD at the University of Glasgow. He was a biochemist. They were married at St Mary Le Tower Church in Brenda's hometown of Ipswich on the 6th of May 1972. She was 26. Kit was six years older. Tell me about that day. It took place at Mary Latar Church in Ipswich, which is a big um, civic church of Ipswich. And the sun was shining and she seemed really happy. And they had the reception at the Great White Horse. Well, it happened to be <laughs> cup final day. <laughs> and most of the men guests at the hotel congregated in the television room so it was a bit uh, 
spread about, if you follow me. And he didn't follow football. So was he stuck in with all the, all the women? <laughs> no, no, he was, he was charming. Yeah, wedding photos, gorgeous. And, of course, your sister must have looked beautiful in her dress. I've got a picture of her. Well, let's see. Well, only a little one down here. I've got oh. all her stuff in the loft, otherwise you could have seen it. I think it's so lovely that she made her own wedding dress. It seems like she could, you know, nothing could stop her. She was a talent in everything that she would put her hand yes. to. That's with Mum and Dad. I wouldn't put one up uh, oh. with her ex-husband in it. What a gorgeous dress. Isn't that lovely? Brenda's school friend Diane told me she met Kit for the first time at the wedding. I asked her what she thought of the man who was marrying her friend. He was obviously a very intelligent man, um, and I felt I did feel quite inferior. You get an impression of somebody, and I just didn't feel comfortable with him. I think I thought that, yes, it would be all right because they were both very intelligent people. Um, but there somehow didn't seem to be any warmth in him somehow. In the years that followed, Brenda confided in Diane that there were problems in her marriage. I remember her saying that she'd made a mistake because she knew that he could be difficult, but she thought she could change him. And, of course, you can't. He was almost a Jekyll and Hyde character, I understand what she seemed to say. That, you know, one minute he would be really loving and kind and then the next minute he would, he would be quite cruel, apparently. Brenda and Kit were living in Edinburgh when they married. Brenda commuting the hour-long journey to Glasgow for her doctoral studies at the University of Glasgow. Diane saw firsthand what Brenda was experiencing when she visited them. She was making a cup of tea and she made him a cup of tea and took it to him and then he would he came into the room and threw the tea over her because he said it was cold. Oh, my goodness. What was your action? I mean, what, what did she do? Well, she almost sort of accepted it as if that, that happened quite often. But, I mean, I don't know. That was just, just an incident that had happened and, you know, I was quite shocked. As you would be witnessing something like that. It was chilling to hear Diane describe how Brenda reacted. As if it wasn't the first time Kit had been violent towards her. I asked Diane if she knew what Kit was doing at the time. I presume he was doing something at university, but I've no idea what. Um, I, I can, when I was staying in Edinburgh, I've never seen so many books. Uh, the place was just full of his books. Um, they were just everywhere. But he didn't seem to go off to work or anything. He just seemed to be at home. So what he was doing, I, I don't know. Kit graduated from Cambridge University with a degree in zoology, and he'd been a research fellow at Harvard University in America. So he was certainly a match for Brenda intellectually. I understand from newspaper reports that he'd been working at the Institute of Animal Genetics at the University of Edinburgh and that he'd studied for a PhD there. But I've also heard from a source close to Brenda, who wished to remain anonymous, that he had been buying and selling antiquarian books, which could explain the amount of books in the flat. 
I asked Diane what Kit was like socially. I honestly don't know, because when I was staying there, uh, Brenda just went out with me. We never went out with with Kit. Did they ever, you know, go on holiday together? Or was it pretty much all about her career up there? Well, no, they went on honeymoon to Alderney. Alderney is one of the Channel Islands, off the south coast of England. Rita told me Brenda knew a professor and his wife, who had an office on the island. She used to look after their sons, but, from what Rita said, it seems that it was Kit's decision to go there. He liked fossil hunting, and uh, he bought my little boys a book about fossils. Not picture books, but complicated books about fossils, which they did look at later, but not with the passion that they should have done. I asked Diane if she remembered Brenda talking about going on holiday with Kit. Um, don't really remember her saying about holidays. Uh, I know she occasionally got postcards because she used to go on conferences and she'd send me postcards. But whether Kit was with her or not, I can't remember. I, I'm pretty sure she went to Florence and I have a feeling she went to Mexico as well. And to do papers, you know, reading from her studies. What was it then, looking back, like, what did they have in common? Why was she attracted to Kit? There must have been something that they had in common, whether, do you think it was their studies? I think because he could be really kind and uh, and she enjoyed his company when he was being nice. And, and you know, he could be really generous, apparently, and then he would just suddenly turn and be the complete opposite. Uh, and I think she sort of fell for his kindness and then realised that, you know, that was a mistake. So, from what we've heard from Diane, Brenda was experiencing difficulties in her marriage from day one. And it was harrowing to hear that Kit could be violent. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Brenda and Kit left Edinburgh in 1973 when Brenda took up her post in the genetics department at the University of Aberdeen. A year later, Kit was working in the university's biochemistry department. I asked her sister Rita what she heard about their move north. Well, she'd got some lovely friends. And uh, for a while, seemed fine. But then sort of doubts began to creep in, but she was a very private person and she would not say much. And I don't think my boys and my husband realised that she wasn't very happy. So from an outsider's point of view, she almost had this... Everything was all right. Everything was all right. She put on the facade of, you know... She put on a brave face, yes. We had a holiday up there and it wasn't repeated. That's the first time we'd been there. She had a nice little garden and uh, she had a room upstairs that was for her, a sitting room, which is where we we were on pain of death of going anywhere else. (laughs) No, not like that, but you can imagine what three little boys are like. You want to go and get your your catch-up time with your sister. That's right. There were things there that mustn't be touched and... Oh, you know what it's like, which, well, you might not know, but if you can't touch it, they want to. And if they can't go in a room, they want to know why. (laughs) So what was this house like? Was it a detached house? No, I think it was um, semi, from what I can remember, but it was very high and very tall. And... um, Granite, of course. Cold. Uh quite nicely furnished and Brenda got her room really lovely and she'd done some upholstery and had a bit of carpet in and it looked and it was quite cosy and there was a lovely garden at the back well it was in the process of being lovely and my husband was um, commissioned with the job to build a hen house when we got there because she wanted to keep chickens. So he went equipped with all this stuff to make this hen house, but uh, the stuff that it got wasn't exactly good enough. (laughs) And the screws and the nails had to be brass. Who who was saying this? Who was demanding these? (laughs) Not Brenda. So Kit had very high standards today. Very high standards for this chicken house, and I can I could see my husband getting more and more. Well, do it yourself then, sort of business. When Brenda went back home to visit her family, she stayed with her mother Florence. Her father had died in 1974, only four years before Brenda was murdered. She confided in her mother about what was happening in her marriage as Rita was kept busy looking after her three young boys. But on one visit home, Brenda did open up to her big sister. Well, the only one that she actually told me about was when she came home and her hair was parted on another side. 
And I said, well, I've never seen your hair like that before. And she said, no, look. And she pulled it back and it was... She got a gash on her head. And so I said, well, what have you done? She said, oh, it was a book. And that's all she'd tell me. But uh, I gather that uh, she'd been hit with this book. But she... She didn't tell us much at all. Living in Aberdeen, Brenda was far away from her family and friends in Ipswich, in the south of England. They communicated via letters or occasional trips to visit one another. Brenda supervised Jessie Watt's studies for her PhD and they saw one another every day, so Jessie knew, better than most, what was happening in Brenda's life. With her husband, Alan, they socialised with Brenda and Kit. I asked her what they were like as a couple when she first met them. They were kind of hand-holding types, quite affectionate, but Kit was a very eccentric person. It was very difficult to tell with Kit. He, um, he didn't say an awful lot. He was quite intellectual and uh, he often did things like he would uh, take his own court case if he had a, a traffic offence or something he acted as the, the person who would normally be the solicitor he acted for himself he kind of could turn his hand to lots of things he was very possessive for example with his tools Brenda had to buy her own hammer and her own um, screwdriver and all of these things because Kit would not lend any of that to Brenda. So in that way, it was a funny relationship, strange relationship. In 1974, Kit was appointed research fellow at the biochemistry department of the University of Aberdeen. His work was funded by the Medical Research Council. When did she start opening up to you that there was an issue, there was a problem with her marriage? Well, I knew it all along because she kept a file on schizophrenia in her main drawer and she was always filing things. And this was because she was worried about her husband. And the, the relationship gradually got worse and worse. And that, she, she had no involvement in mental health or, you know, she wasn't doing a, another study on the side or something? Not that I know of. So you probably, you think that she was almost kind of trying to work out maybe what was wrong with her husband? That's exactly what I feel. I was shocked to hear that detail from Jessie. Brenda was so concerned about her husband's behaviour that she believed he may have had issues with his mental health. She moved out of the marital home in 1976, only four years after her wedding. I was told by a source close to Brenda, who wishes to remain anonymous, that she left with only the clothes she was wearing. Brenda bought her own flat in Allen Street, in the west end of the city, and she was granted a divorce in October 1977. Jesse told me Kit took it badly. He was desperate to get back together with her. You know, he, 
He phoned me up because I was kind of like a confidant, if you like, to Brenda, and he knew that. He says, Jesse, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. I'm trying to get a job. I've cleaned up the house. I've done this. I've done that. And she still won't come back, you know. Will you come and talk to me? Will you come and talk to me? So at that time, I felt, you know, he's just an eccentric, strange guy. He's trying his best. So I went and met him at lunchtime, and he was... Driving like a nutcase, he drove up over pavements and he took us to the beach and he was just about crying. He was in the right state that day and I did feel sorry for him. So Kit was desperate to get back with Brenda. But from what Jesse told me, it seems that he was jealous of her academic success. He didn't like the fact, I think, that Brenda was doing better than him. You know, a lot of men can be like that. He wanted to be, you know, the top dog, and he was a bit struggling. I think, you know, she'd maybe told him, go and get a job, you know, get a real job, instead of mucking about at biochemistry. But he was trying. At that time, he was trying, but just very volatile, very easy set off. So I don't know how bad he got when he was really set off. But it seems that Brenda did have some sort of professional relationship with Kit. They collaborated on a research paper, which was published in Nature magazine in 1976. Their research involved the psychedelic drug mescaline, for which they needed home office approval. One report describes their findings that mescaline could be used to identify chromosomes in human cells as a quite remarkable discovery. Brenda's friend Diane went to see her in June 1977 around four months before her divorce from Kit was finalised. I asked her if Brenda told her why she had filed for divorce. She did say that he'd got quite violent. How did that make you feel? Well, I was quite concerned and I was really glad that she was out of it and that, you know, there was... um, It was in place that he wasn't allowed to visit her. One night when I was staying, he did come to the house and she said, thank goodness you're here. Um, But, I mean, I was only there for a week. So, you know, when I left, it was a bit worrying to know whether she was going to be all right. So when he came round, what did he do? Did he just knock on the door? Was he standing at the window? I mean, what do you recall happening? He knocked at the door and I think... Because I was there, Brenda said, you know, she'd got visitors, and he he left. You would say that she wanted him out of her life completely? Yes, I would say so. Once they split up, Brenda had to take out an interim interdict, I think that's what it's called, against him. But he, he, he stalked her, he followed her everywhere. She had to come out of her house and maybe go twice round the block in her car and keep looking to see if he was around. He did stalk her. And uh, one day, it was her birthday, and Kit phoned me up and he said, Jesse, I'm not allowed to come into the hospital, so could you come to the front door and collect this present for Brenda? So I went to the front door of the hospital and he handed me this beautiful basket with a cloth over the top. And it was full of loaves of bread all different shapes, like uh, ones made like cottage loaves and ones with plaits in them and all kinds of loaves, you know, old granny types, ones with seeds. Onions was on one of them. And he'd made all this himself. 
So I carried it in. It was about tea time in the middle of the afternoon and we'd stopped for a coffee. The whole lab was in the coffee room. So I carried this in. I said, Brenda, look what we've got for our, you know, your birthday. And she says, I'm not touching that. It'll be poisoned. And I said, well, I'm having a bit. So I ate it. Half the lab ate it. There was nothing wrong with it. But she wouldn't touch it. And at that time, Brenda said to me, and I'll never forget these words. She said, Jess, if ever I'm found dead and it looks like suicide, don't believe it. She was terrified of her husband at that time. Brenda took out a restraining order against Kit in December 1977, two months after the divorce. It stated that Kit had been violent, threatening and aggressive to Brenda during their marriage. And on the official day of their divorce, he'd gone round to her flat in Allen Street and hurled abuse at her, threw crockery about, poured tea down the kitchen curtains and threatened her life. It also revealed that during an open evening at the laboratory, he'd threatened Brenda in the presence of visitors and refused to leave. Because of his violent behaviour, Kit wasn't allowed to go anywhere near Brenda at home or work. So I was shocked at what her sister Rita had to say. I know that uh, he used to follow her and, uh, I mean, that's upsetting, isn't it? And Although he was told not to and she was sure that he was going in and out of her house, her flat... Did he still have a key then? Don't know. But uh, she used to find things missing, like uh, she'd go and find food missing. Well, who else would go in and take food? Strange. So Brenda told Rita that she suspected Kit was going into her flat, even though she had taken out a restraining order against him. So how did he get in? Did he have a key? Audrey Swanson heard from neighbours in Allen Street that they'd seen Kit in the neighbourhood. I think because of the the fact that he came back and forth, whether he was welcome there, but obviously if she'd taken out that injunction against him, he obviously wasn't. He'd obviously, you know, maybe been harassing her. No, we don't really know the background. I asked Rita what she'd heard about the police investigation. Something about a car in Stonehaven... Hmm. Did you hear about that? Yes. That's been reported. Something to do with maybe getting on the train to Edinburgh. There's been a lot of um, kind of suspicions about this green duffel bag. Yes. Do you know anyone that would have had one? Or they used to have one. Who did, sorry? Kit Kit did. But uh, I don't know anything, any detail. What did he use to use it for? I suppose he took it when he went fossil hunting. In episode two, I told you that the police had searched extensively for a green canvas duffel bag, as they suspected it may have contained the murder weapon, clothing, and perhaps a pair of shoes and a watch. Rita told me that Kit used a similar bag for collecting fossils. This bag, as far as I can gather, has never been found. 
One thing I find really strange is that in the newspaper archive at the main library in Aberdeen, I found an article from a week after Brenda's death. It says, According to Dr. Harrison's solicitor, Mr. David Burnside, the couple's relationship did not end with the divorce, even though this was followed by a court action raised by Dr. Page to prevent her husband calling on her. So was Brenda's relationship with her ex-husband more complicated than it seems? Jessie did tell me something that made me think twice. We went on a conference to Vienna. She was giving a paper in Vienna and I was giving a paper. And Alan came with us. And at that time I had no money, absolutely none. (laughs) So I was a student, really poor, but uh, they seemed to be quite good friends in Vienna, although um, we hired a car together, all four of us, and Kit was a real grump the whole time we were in that car. He would say, this car is rattling. Has anybody got an old sock to put in it? So Alan would take off one of his socks and hand it to him because he was driving. And then he made us all go to eat catfish, and I hate catfish, but we had to go, and Brenda said, please come, or it'll make him so annoyed. Please come. So we did. We went. She kind of was scared of it. So it was almost like, you know, she was encouraging you to come because otherwise she would have a hell of a night. I think so, yes. When Brenda was murdered, I was seven months pregnant. When we were in Vienna, I was maybe three months pregnant because I was fainting all over the place. That's the last time that I saw them together as a couple. After that, it was all Brenda living in the flat and terrified to go out because he was stalking her. So, Jessie told me she was three months pregnant when they were in Vienna. And previously, she said that she was seven months pregnant when Brenda was murdered. So, they must have made the trip to Vienna sometime in March 1978. That's three months after Brenda had taken the restraining order out against Kit. Jessie said they seemed to be quite good friends in Vienna, but she also said that Brenda appeared to be frightened of Kit. On the way home, Brenda went to see her family in Ipswich. It was the last time her sister Rita saw her. I think she'd been to Vienna or somewhere on some conference. And she called here on the way back and she didn't want to go back particularly and Mum said, well, I'll come back with you. And then she decided, no, no, because we were all going to the Isle of Wight for a big caravan holiday, the whole lot of us with a couple of caravans. (laughs) And uh, she said, no, I shall see you in three weeks and we'll... It's a waste you coming all that way on that long journey just to come back and uh, no I'll be I'll be all right and that was it. I asked Rita if she had heard from Kit. Nope. That's shocking to me. It is to me. We thought mother would have had a sympathy card or some flowers. So Kit never sent a card to the family and he wasn't at the funeral, according to Diane. Did Kit come to the funeral? No. Do you think that Kit should have come to the funeral? Never thought of it before. 
But at the time, I think I'd have been quite shocked if he had to come the way he'd, he'd sort of treated her in the past. I don't think the family would have been very happy because obviously the family knew how Brenda suffered. The day before Brenda's funeral, Kit's solicitor said in the press, Dr Harrison would have wished to attend his former wife's funeral, but he understands the funeral is private. As he has not been invited, he feels, under the circumstances, it would not be appropriate for him to be there. On the day of the funeral itself, press reports say Kit lost a claim for nearly £500 in a civil case at Aberdeen Sheriff Court against a printing firm in the city which sued him for a non-payment of a bill. He contested the action, representing himself, lodging a counterclaim for £494, maintaining the company did not bind his PhD thesis in accordance with his instructions. The claim was not successful. So that backs up what Jessie said about Kit representing himself in court. Something else she told me was alarming. It was after my baby was born, I had, I had one weekend off work only because I had to go back and do all Brenda's work. Oh um, so I had the weekend at home and during that weekend I got a phone call and it was from a picture framer. And he said, your picture is ready, could you come and pick it up? And I said, well, I haven't got any picture, I haven't ordered any picture. I wish I'd kept this picture, I really do. Anyway, um, Alan went and collected this picture, it was wrapped in a brown paper bag. And when I opened it, it was one of these street scenes of Vienna, black and white, you know, like a black and white old street scene of Vienna, which is where we were in the last conference when they were still quite pally and and sharing a car. And in the middle of this black and white picture, there was a man walking up and down the street and he had a bag with a knife sticking out the bag and red drips of blood all the way down the pavement. And I hated this picture. Now, the, the, the story, it's not just as clear cut as it sounds because when we were in Vienna, Alan and I, as I said earlier, had no money. So instead of going to these fancy restaurants with Brenda and Kit, we used to go and buy bread and cheese and ham or whatever, and Alan bought a knife to cut the bread with, and he carried it in a plastic bag. And when we were walking down the street in Vienna, this bag was sticking out the bottom, this knife was sticking out the bottom of his bag, and we got stopped by the police in Vienna to tell us, you know, what's this knife for? So Alan took out the bread and showed him. So, you see, it could just be Kit's funny sense of humour to send this as a reminder of Vienna. But it was the blood on the knife and dripping all the way down the pavement that I didn't like at all. But then Alan says there's some character in Vienna called Mackie Mesa, Mack the Knife, like the song. So it could just be Kit's humour to do this. But, but, but it was a horrible thing to give me. I hated it. I mean, how many months are we talking about since Brenda's death that you would send this picture? Well, apparently it had been lying in the framing shop for a long time. So it was just coincidence that they phoned me up, please come and collect this. It had my name and address on it. How many months had passed after Brenda's 
death. Oh, Did you pick it up? No time. Just no time after. I was at home with the baby. The baby, I was looking after the baby then. So a couple of months at the most afterwards. Alan says he wasn't bothered about that because he said, because of this Mackie Mesa, it's a common thing in Vienna. You're making too much of it, Jesse. Don't be silly. But to me, it gave me the chills and I hated it. He had such an odd sense of humour. He really what, did. What did you do with the picture? I chucked it out. I did, I did tell the police about it, but oh, I thought, I hate this. I took the frame off. I bust the frame off to see if there was anything written on the back. But there was nothing, nothing inside there. I asked journalist Graeme Smith if he knew if the police had interviewed Kit as part of their investigation. My understanding is he was due to appear in court, but uh, he never appeared in court. Uh, and my understanding of that was that the procurator fiscal said that the, the, there wasn't enough evidence for him to appear in court and any charges linked to the, the death of his wife. Brenda's sister Rita told me that she's had no contact with Kit since Brenda died. Her friend Jessie said the same. He disappeared. Never spoke to any of us ever again. And that's odd. That's very odd. In this episode, three women close to Brenda told me stories about her relationship with her ex-husband that I found shocking. From what they said, it's clear that Brenda was a victim of domestic abuse. By all accounts, Dr. Harrison was volatile, and given what I'd heard from Rita, Diane and Jesse, it's perhaps not surprising to find out that he was questioned by police. But he was released without being charged with her murder. So who did kill Dr. Brenda Page? There was the rumour that maybe it had been one of her. I wouldn't say, no, it's not clients. At that time, the escorts business, it was all businessmen, maybe oil men, who were over here on their own looking for company. Could her murder have been linked to her work as an escort? Find out in episode four of Murder in the Granite City. If you've been affected by anything you've heard in this episode, call the National Domestic Abuse Helpline on 0808 2000 247. You can also find information on where to go for help on the Women's Aid website at womensaid.org.uk. Murder in the Granite City is presented by me, Ruth Warrender, and produced by Jill Davis. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Sound design is by Sean Kerwin, and the music is composed and performed by David Hearn. It's a news broadcasting production for The Scottish Sun. (laughs) 